Hello, and welcome back to the Monash Musculoskeletal Research Unit podcast, where we discuss and translate the latest musculoskeletal research to help you keep up to date and improve your patient outcomes. My name is Luke Perriton. I'm one of the hosts of the podcast, and I'm a physiotherapy educator and an early career researcher in the Department of Physiotherapy at Monash University. And on this episode, I'm joined by another physiotherapist and a former Monash University physiotherapy student, Brian Kim. I'm going to talk to Brian about transitioning from university life to professional life and the challenges and successes in translating and using evidence in his practice as a new graduate physio. So Brian graduated as a physio at the end of 2020. He was one of our top performing students. He completed the Bachelor of Physiotherapy program that I teach within at Monash University. And on top of his study, he completed our research mentorship program with Dr. Dawson Kidgel. And you've heard from Dr. Dawson Kidgel before on this podcast on episodes 17 and 15. And Brian now works clinically in Melbourne, Australia. He's a member of the MMRU team and part of the MMRU podcast team, working behind the scenes on production and promotion. He's also, uh, he produces amateur theatre and he plays Australian rules football. And if that isn't enough, he's a rock and roller. <laughs> Brian's a rock and roller with a nice collection of guitars. So you can see why I wanted to chat to him and get him on the podcast rather than just behind the scenes. Let's go, Brian. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Luke. Thanks so much for having me. Excellent. Thanks for being here. How are you going, first of all? Oh, look, things have been, things have been pretty cruisy lately. I know a lot of us are finding things to do in lockdown and it's great to have this podcast a bit of something different you know throughout the day distraction therapy exactly so let's go i've told the listeners your broad background let's tell the mm-hmm. listeners a little bit more about yourself because this episode is going to be a little bit more about your story and your transition from university to professional life a success story being a high-performing student and an emerging expert and clinician um but let's go back step and just tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself and your background and interests and I guess specifically your clinical and research interests. Sure thing. Well, you, you covered a lot of it. So as you said, Luke, I'm a new graduate from the Bachelor of Physio course from Monash Uni Peninsula. Um, I immediately transitioned from high school to university, you know, grinded and enjoyed my uh, four years of uni life and now I'm working full-time in private practice in Melbourne Southeast. I mean, in terms of research experience and clinical experience, I've had a lot of, I guess the usual experience with systematic reviews, clin- critical analyses, presentations, getting used to processes like ethics approvals and grant proposals through the course already. And then on top of that, um, I just loved it so much that I continued assisting research on the side. So on top of uni units, um, I was in the neurophysiology lab with Dr. Dawson Kidgel and working on a pilot randomized control trial that we engineered together, which was so close to having decent insight and power. But COVID-19 last year put a halt to all that, unfortunately. Um, But I continued helping the lab got some experience with all these different softwares and processes again. And I was lucky enough to co-author one peer reviewed journal during my final year last year. And, you know, you say the usual systematic yeah. reviews pluralized, you know, and, um, <laughs> and experience, you know, in research teams, you know, submitting an ethics application. Mm-hmm. And that might be the usual to you. But for those who have been around 
the block a few times. Um, it wasn't the usual experience for an undergraduate physiotherapy mm. student. So it's, it's um, look, we had our um, Monash Physio fourth year conference yesterday, and it was amazing. Mm. These are students presenting. They've done four years of undergraduate training. They're presenting research that they've done um, as amateur researchers. Just to, they've had a really a year and a half run into this. And just to compare that to where those of us who've been graduated 20 years were at when we graduated is amazing. It's just so good to see that progression. Absolutely. Progression. Yeah. The other thing you said was that you loved it so much. Yeah. It's, um, yeah tell, us, tell us what you loved about doing research because not everyone says that. <laughs> Look, yeah, I think there are definitely two distinct camps when it comes to research lectures during university. But what I loved about it was how systematic everything is. Um, it's, it's a lot of logic and reason. Um, I've always been a bit of a numbers person as well. And it's almost a sense of assurance in what you do clinically as well. Making sure that you don't just go off past experiences or um, word of mouth advice. Having a bit of research on the side is a bit of fun change of pace and helps you appreciate what you're going to read anyway or what you should be reading a lot when you're a new graduate and beyond. Dude, this is what I wanted to talk to you about on the podcast. This yeah. is good. This perspective, <laughs> as much as what you did and, you know, in, in your tips and advice and your you know, your journey, but that perspective of someone who's you know, had a lot of success in their foundational training. So, look, so that sense of assurance in you know, in supporting your clinical practice mm. with research. And of course, there's much more than that. There's, you know, your perspectives, the patient's perspectives and values. But that is an interesting point of yours. So tell us, let's let's talk about more about research. So tell us specifically about yours. So you co-authored a paper and um, I'll pop, pop that in the show description for people to have a look at. So I think you were a, a middle tier author on that yes. paper. And then you've got your main project that you were going to be first author on COVID interrupted that, which is such a shame. Tell us a bit about what you did though. So for the, uh, I guess the paper that I was going to be primary author of, it was based around neurophysiological changes to exercise. Now I think from our previous episodes and listeners of episodes 15 and 17 would know, um, Dr. Dawson Kidgel has done a lot of research in that field and he's, you know, world renowned for that sort of, um, I guess, area. So what we were essentially looking at was how does the brain and the brain pathways, I'm trying to dumb this down as much as I can, <laughs> the pathways change after just one session of strength training. And we're looking at how do different volumes change that, different intensities of of exercise and the goal was, you know, that translates to how can we optimize strength training for people who perhaps have impaired neural pathways. So, you know, specifically thinking of post immobilization or post neurological deficits such as, you know, stroke. And, you know, we, <laughs> it, it was really exciting. We got, we got some voluntary participants in, we got to use some fancy equipment and get them through strength training, test out their neural pathways. And the statistical analyses, they were all there, 
but it was just perhaps not enough to warrant I guess publication. Maybe that was a bit of bit of my and Dawson's high expectations of the trial. But we're looking to hopefully continue that at some point in the future. Look, there's there's not many practicing clinicians who have done a research study of that caliber. Many have done some form of, um, of research, have been involved perhaps in a research team. There's lots of different ways to get involved in research everywhere from just facilitating and helping and providing access to, to data or patients all the way through to, you know, getting involved in the write-up of papers. Um, and, you know, not all, as you've just highlighted, this is why not all research has large sample sizes. Not all research is published. Just why it's always really important when you're writing to say, you know, you know, to our knowledge, you know, this hasn't been published before. It may well have been researched or begun to be researched. So, um, and you also said, you know, sort of dumbing it down, but then you, you, it's, I thought I'd follow up on that because you're not dumbing it down. This is the whole point <laughs> of this is to translate yep. what you did without jargon mm-hmm. to a general audience or yeah. a research audience. So, and you did that really nicely. Um, you go, you, you breathed in first. So you go, Brian. <laughs> no, I was just going to say that it is definitely a challenge when you go into your very first sort of randomized control trial and you, you learn about all these protocols and recruiting and you just, you, I think you get an appreciation for research more once you go into it yourself and you go, man, recruiting people is so hard. Um, and then I think it's good to take it both sides, be a researcher and then, you know, recruiting is hard and analyzing is hard. The whole procedure is just difficult, um, but also try to be a participant. Like, and I, and I had a couple of volunteers come in and I'd realized, man, they have to sit there for quite a long time. Um, it isn't something that is like an activity you do on a whim. Mm. So there's a lot of a commi- a lot of commitment there. Exactly. For yeah. Participants and researchers are always very thankful for their participants that have helped them out. And that's often the language in, you know, um, that you're using. Mm. You know, thank you for helping us out. Yeah. Is really there's, there's quite an imbalance in between what you're um, asking for them and what they're getting out of it. It's, it's very much a volunteer basis for research. Mm. Um, so look, this is a nice place to segue into your, so you, this is, that's your experience with research. And then at the same time you were studying undergraduate physiotherapy. Um, and then you've mentioned how that has helped you think about you know, better patient care as a physio and as a student. So tell us a bit more about what that was like doing research on top of undergraduate studies um, and I guess balancing that. And then we'll, then we'll talk about you as your work, um, yeah. in your work at present as a physio. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was definitely hard. <laughs> like there's full-time studies, which might not be every day of the week, luckily, but then, you know, days off, I would probably come into the university and make sure that I can at least get some, data collection in. Um, And then on top of that, I had a teaching job at the university as well, just assisting in tutoring peers. Um, So it it was a lot to juggle. um, But I think that like a lot of things, keeping yourself busy just kind of pushes you. I think of struggles as opportunities for growth. And yeah, that's the gist of it really. And now you're a practicing physiotherapist mm-hmm. and the juggle and the struggle is real. So you're out there <laughs> practicing 
And, you know, for many graduating university, it's a big step into professional life. But, you know, you, when you're in your university life, you were already getting your, um, getting your feet in the water with teaching. Mm. You were a part of your part of research projects and you were studying as well. So tell us a bit of the, about the challenges for you in transitioning from university life into um, clinical practice, just as for you as a person yep. and as a clinician. And then I want to talk about how you use research in practice. Sure. Uh, obviously, your mileage might vary depending on which sector you go into and which employee you opt for. I'm going to be honest, because I juggled a lot of things in my undergraduate years, the transition wasn't that bad. Um, and I was fortunate enough to have a very supportive employer, um, lots of teaching and guidance. In fact, I had a two to three week introductory period of pure observation tutorials. And then I was slowly eased into seeing a handful of patients independently per day to a full caseload over the next few months. Um, challenges wise, the initial part was perhaps understanding how these really experienced clinicians clinically reason so quickly in their head. <laughs> and um, another challenge would be observation of, I guess, of movement. That's something that we cover in undergraduate courses, but it's something that needs to be honed so much. And I think it only comes down to experience. You see more and more and more. And I'm, you know, less than a year out. So I have by no means an astute <laughs> um, observational analysis of whether it's gait or movement, but it's just that, that was a real tricky part for me. You need to constantly see more and more patients and oh, can I pick up that little thing? Can I pick up that? Are they doing that? Or is it, or is it just in my head? Um, little things like that. Uh, You're on here to talk about your specific, specifically as a new grad physio and your perspective yeah. is really valuable in that regard. And we, we've come on here to talk about research and yet there's so much more to it, isn't there? Exactly, exactly. Helping people that you, you can't just have a, a really high level working knowledge of literature and then expect that to translate into patient outcomes. Tell us more about your experiences then. Um, in the first few months of coming out into the, into the physiotherapy clinical practice world, what was, tell us more about these challenges for you. Um, well, I suppose you have all this knowledge in your head. That's okay. I'll speak from a first person's perspective. Sure. I had all this knowledge and you can implement some of it in the placements as well. But when you are alone in a room, eventually it's a different ball game. Um, there's a lot of trust and rapport that you need to build with patients. And that is not, that's not of the books. That's something that you, that I had to constantly get better at. You know, it's, it's essentially a form of, it's a, it's a social interaction and it's people management in a way, dealing with different personalities and then working with, okay, so I've got this type of person without typecasting them. I have this knowledge of anatomy and theory how do I, how do I use both work around and try to get someone on my side, understand their perspective, and then just essentially get work work to reach their health goals? 
Can, and just, um, this is a bit of a tangent as well. An added layer of complexity to private practices. Hours can be tricky to work around. Um, evening finishes can be necessary sometimes just to get experience with different clientele who are still professionals and they have to work during the day. So there's less routine in the day, I would say, in that you might have to work late nights, you might have to work very early mornings, and um, it's valuable, I think, at the start, essentially. Yeah, weekends, evenings, and you make a really valid point that you do see different types of people who have different um, shifts at work and um, and different lifestyles, working in different areas as well. Mm. One really good thing about a you know, uh, any health professions qualification, but we're talking about physiotherapy at the moment um, and musculoskeletal physiotherapy specifically is you, you can travel, you can move around. You can't travel at the moment if you live in Melbourne, <laughs> Australia, that'll end soon, you know, and, um, and th- that is, that is amazing to actually travel and meet different people from different walks in life, w- walks of life and apply what you know and try to help different people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I keep talking about challenges and trying to get draw out some some war stories from you from so far from your transition. Do you want some, do you want some specific war stories? Oh no, <laughs> let's look. Let's let's go and um, let's be a bit more positive and talk about um, resources and, yep. and perhaps tips for um, students who are about to graduate and work as musculoskeletal clinicians. So you know, how, so let's be a bit more specific to research now. So it's a it's seen as a quite a burden for clinicians to work the hours they work and keep on top of the literature. Mm-hmm. And that's been you know, reported in many studies, qualitative studies, and the struggle is real. So you've been quite successful in your undergraduate studies and now you know, you're going really well in your clinical career. How do you keep up to date? What resources do you use? What are your tips for people? Yeah. Um, firstly, look, I look around myself, I've got peers and mentors at work. Um, now whenever you get, whenever I get the chance, lunch break in between patients, ask questions. They're, they're there. They've got a wealth of experience and knowledge as well. Secondly, and this is probably a bit of a broken record for Australian physiotherapists is look for APA courses. I haven't attended any in person this year, but, um, they're still great. Um, some other resources I look for are virtual education seminars. So again, I got through work, we were circulated Cabrini Health's virtual education seminar. It, it was a bit of like a running sheet of three different presentations by orthopedic and neurosurgeons. So, you know, I'd come home from a day of work and I kind of just listen in, ask questions to the, to the medical professionals. And that would always help too. Um, and another one would be global education of manual therapists. They're based here in Australia, Melbourne as well. Uh, they often run some workshops and courses online too. And so APA you mentioned before is Australian Physiotherapy Association. Yes. Yep. And um, you may, that's a really good point about um, not just professional association run events for research updates and for mm-hmm. clinical professional education, but, but also, you know, when you network widely and when you keep in contact with a, a variety of people, you find out about events that aren't necessarily advertised. So yeah. as you mentioned, the, the um, Cabrini event for surgeons and um, run by surgeons. That's really helpful, Brian. Um, we It won't be the last time we chat on the podcast. Mm-hmm. I think that's enough for today, though. 
Yeah. Where yeah. can people um, find out more about you or perhaps follow you online? <laughs> um, I'm going to be honest. I'm, I haven't been too active online, but I hope to be in the near future. Um, my Twitter handle is Brian Kim WK. I'm sure that'll be in the show notes. And apart from that, I guess, watch this space. <laughs> watch the space indeed, people. So Brian's, um, you know, he's a really good example of a student who can come out from the uh, an undergraduate course and try to position themselves um, in a really strong position for a career, you know, not just in cl- clinical practice, but potentially in research. Um, you'll hear more from him on the podcast. That's enough for now. Thanks very much, Brian. And if, of course, if you want to follow the general podcast Twitter handle and Monash MRU, it's at Monash MRU on Twitter. You can ask Brian a question there or on his own Twitter handle and he'll get back to you. But for now, Brian, thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you.